pull out. This week, that same child ended up in the ED for different reasons. And I knew that it was no coincidence. Because do you know what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16? He says this, he says, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Some translations say it's to your advantage, it's for your best, it's for your benefit, it's profitable for you that I, Jesus, leave the earth now so that the Holy Spirit can come. The enemy knows that Holy Spirit is your advantage in this life, and he will do everything that he can to block you understanding that, because he knows that if you understand who the Holy Spirit is and what his work is within you, then you will experience the life God intended you to, and he does not want you to. Jesus spent a significant portion of his last words laboring the role of the Holy Spirit for us because he understood this. He understood that in this season of time, the Holy Spirit was the member of the Trinity that could best serve the Father's purposes. And so we're going to unpack some of his last words today in John chapter 14. So if you are old school like me and you have bought your Bible, that's where you want to turn to. If you've got your app, that's what you want to find, John chapter 14. And I just want to say this, when somebody knows that the end of their life is coming, they think about what is of the utmost importance to them to share. And so John 13 through to John 17 are Jesus's last words, so to speak, on this earth. And he knows that his time with the disciples is coming to a close. And so much of his teaching in these chapters centers around the Holy Spirit, which reminds us this is important. As Christ followers, we must understand the Holy Spirit. He is not a lesser member of the Trinity. He is our advantage. So before I start to read, I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your love and your goodness towards each one of us. And we thank you that because of that goodness, you sent Holy Spirit to be our advantage, to be our helper, to be our counsellor. And we just pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear with understanding that you would quicken to each one of us what it is, what truth it is that we really need to allow to take root in our lives so that we can grow into all that you intended us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I am reading from John chapter 14, and I'm going to jump around a little bit in this first reading. We're going to start at the beginning, and then we're going to jump to what Jesus said about Holy Spirit, and then we're going to come back and unpack the chapter in more of a cohesive order for you. But in John chapter 14, Jesus starts by saying to his disciples, keeping in mind he's just told them, I'm going. My time has come to an end. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
Now, the idea is that to the very core of their being, they were troubled, that the foundations of their faith were being shaken. They had had an expectation that the Messiah would come and do and be a particular thing, and Jesus was turning everything that they had hoped for on its head, and they're like, hang on a second, weren't you meant to come and overthrow the Roman Empire? Weren't you meant to set us free from the oppressor? They could only see this little part in front of them, and so the very core of what they've believed is being shaken. And the sense that I had as I was preparing this week is that many of us have felt in the last years, we love prophecy here in Elam, but let's be honest, there's one thing that Jesus foretold that we don't emblazon on our cups and our cushions and all that kind of thing. He said, in this world you will have trouble. And the last few years have felt for many of us, collectively and individually, like when will the trouble end and what we thought we knew and what we thought we understood has been being shaken. And so I want to say to you, Jesus is saying this morning to his church, don't be troubled if it doesn't look like what you thought it was going to look like. Trust, or trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Then we pick up again in verse 25, and he says, If any, sorry, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Why do we have this hope that our hearts don't have to be troubled? Because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the peace that Jesus gives us. He is the hope in that verse where Jesus says, In this world you have, will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, and the Holy Spirit is our gift to be overcomers when our worlds are being shaken. He is our parakletos. He is our counselor. Depending on your translation, your Bible might say he's your advocate. He's your comforter. But that word means summoned and called to one's side. That is the Holy Spirit's mission. He is called to your side. He is called to my side. He is one who pleads another's cause before a judge. He is your defense counsel. He is your advocate. He is one who pleads another's cause with one. He is your intercessor. And in the widest sense of the word, it meant a helper, 
a Sakura. I had to look that up because who's ever used that word? Have you ever used that word, Sakura? I haven't. It means a helper in a time of distress. So when you are in distress, Holy Spirit is the one who comes to your side. He is your aid and your assistance. So when the enemy accuses and attacks, Holy Spirit is your defense counsel. When you need someone to stand in the gap for you and you don't know how to pray, Holy Spirit not only prays through you, Romans 8 tells us he prays for you. When you are in distress, Holy Spirit is your Sakura. He is the one who comes alongside to comfort and to build you up. When we don't know what we should do, when the way ahead is unclear, He is our teacher. He is the one who makes God's word come alive. And John 16 says, he leads us into all truth. You know, as I've listed off some of these things, you've probably been starting to think, well, that sounds a lot like Jesus. The scriptures say Jesus is my advocate, that he's my defense counsel when I sin. The scriptures say that Jesus is my intercessor. That he lives, Hebrews 7 tells us, to make intercession for us. Jesus is God with me. He's Emmanuel. There's a lot of similarities going on here between Jesus and Holy Spirit. And that's because of this word, another. Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to send you any old counselor. He says, I'm going to send you an alos, another counselor. And that word there, it meant the same. So if you ask me, this is the example my dad used to, I'm a preacher's kid, so I grew up with this example over and over. It's stuck in my head. You offer me a hot drink and I can say, I'll have another, I'll have an alos. I'm saying, I want another drink of the same kind that I've already had. If I say heteros, I'm saying I want a different one this time. I don't want a coffee. I want a tea. I'm probably going to say coffee. But that's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying I'm sending you something that's fundamentally different to who I am. He's saying I am sending you another of the same kind or of the same but in a different form, counsellor. And the reason that the Holy Spirit is to our advantage, is for our best. Why it was time for Jesus to go was because if Jesus is here in this room, because he inhabits a physical body, he can't be at the Botany Campus. He can't be at the City Campus. When Dave goes to work, my husband in the second row, I'm calling him out, when he goes to work tomorrow, if Jesus goes with him, I'm stuck at home going, oh, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. How am I going to deal with this issue that's cropped up? But Holy Spirit, he gets to go with each and every single one of us wherever we go. And that is why it is to our advantage that we live at this point in time with Holy Spirit. You know, so often we say, if only Jesus were in the room, if only he would write it in the skies. But do you know what? He is in the room. 
by the power of his spirit because Jesus spent his mission on earth doing what? Doing what he saw the Father doing. John 16 says that the Holy Spirit tells us what Jesus is saying. So there's been this mirroring that happens. Jesus mirrors the Father. Holy Spirit mirrors Jesus. And then we get invited to mirror what the Trinity is doing when we lean in and we listen to the counsel and the guidance of Holy Spirit. But there's something that we have to do. Holy Spirit is this gift He is freely available to each and every one of us, but we have a part to play in his ability to lead and guide us into all truth. And so there's some postures that we're going to need to adopt. And the first of these is that we need a posture of faith. So in John 14, after Jesus has opened by saying, don't worry, I'm going to prepare a place and I'm going to come back for you, the disciples say to him, Thomas says in verse 5, but Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well, and from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Philip says, Jesus, just show us the Father, and then that will be enough for us. And he says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Did you hear the word that was repeated over and over in those verses? Believe. It's a theme all throughout John's gospel believe in order to receive. We must believe in order to receive the right to become children of God. We must believe in order to receive eternal life. We must believe in order to receive the ability to see God's glory and the ability to hear God. Faith is the currency of heaven. But what is it that we are being called to believe in? That Jesus is the way. Do you know what that the way is a reference back to? Not just what he said about I'm going to the Father. It was first used in Genesis 3 when the angels were set to guard the way to the tree of life. And for a season, you could not get back to the tree of life. The tree of life that sustained life as God intended it to be. 
And Jesus is saying, I'm the way, and the way has been opened back up to live as God intended in unity, in relationship with him. You must believe that I am the way, that I am the truth and the life, and that you cannot return to unity with the Father without believing that I am who I say I am. If we want to receive Holy Spirit, if we want him poured out in this place, in this community, in this city, in this nation, we must be utterly convinced, and this might sound like Christianity 101, but sometimes we lose sight that Jesus is who he says he is. And so we must be people who steadfastly believe that Jesus is the way, the absolute truth, and the source of life. Because you cannot, but you cannot receive the spirit of truth if you do not first believe in the truth. What did Jesus say? He says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. You cannot have Holy Spirit freely flowing in your life if you will not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. But it goes beyond just believing he is Lord. You've got to let him be Lord. Colossians 2, 6 says, So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue in him, and we could add in brackets, as Lord. That means it's not just a momentary salvation prayer. That means every day of your life you will get up and you will adopt this. You will adopt a posture of obedience. Where you say, Lord, I'm going to let you rule and reign today. I'm going to listen to what Holy Spirit is saying and then I'm going to order my life according to what you are saying, Jesus. I want to say this. You cannot earn Holy Spirit. He is a free gift of grace when you place faith in Jesus Christ. And you cannot lose him. He is the seal, God's stamp on your life, the promise and the guarantee of all that is yet to come. But you better believe that you and I have a part in how free he is to move in our lives. We have a choice about whether or not we get to experience the fullness of this gift we determine the ease by which he can flow through our willingness to be obedient. Obedience is the measure by which God assesses what he can trust you with. This is what Jesus had to say. He said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And then in verse 21, he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them he is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, Jesus really wants us to, or John really wants us to know that, said, but Lord, why do you intend yourself to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who has sent me. And then finally in verse 31, he says, the world must learn that I love the father and that I do exactly what my father has commanded me. 
Jesus modeled a life of obedience, a life of surrender. He lived according to God's timetable, according to God's plans, according to God's purposes, according to God's ways. And he is saying, if you love me, you will do the same. And I say obedience is the measure by which God knows how much he can trust you with because if you're a parent, if you've managed a team, you know that the people you entrust to steward more responsibility are those that have shown themselves trustworthy, who have shown that they care about the values and the boundaries in your home, in your workplace, in your classroom. You're not going to pour out more to someone who is not going to value what you have already given them. Obedience is not about list-ticking and rule-keeping. And sometimes I think as New Testament spirit-filled believers, we actually have gone too far away from obedience because we want to avoid legalism, which is obedience without any heart. It's just about keeping up appearances and looking good. But the very word tereo, to obey, means to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard. It's a heart response. That when I value my family, when I value my workmates, when I value the people I go to school with, I care about how our relationship operates. I care about the things that matter to them because I want to guard this relationship. And so obedience is us saying, Father, I care about what matters to you. And so I'm going to carefully attend to what you've entrusted me to do. I'm going to guard my relationship with you. And that's why our willingness to obey is not just about what we believe. It's about who we love. And it cannot be separated from this final posture That if we want Holy Spirit to be free to move in our lives, we must adopt. Perhaps it's one of the most important postures of all. Love. Because what did Jesus say when the Pharisees came to him with all their rules? He said, you know what the most important thing that you can do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul with absolutely everything that you are. You know, our relationship with God has always been about intimacy. From Genesis through to Revelation, we learn about a God who wants to live with his people. He used to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve and talk with them. And that is what he's going to great lengths to continually restore this intimacy, this ability to commune with God, to know him and to be known by him. That's the ultimate goal of Revelation. We're told at the very end that when a new heaven and a new earth is established, that the dwelling of God will be with men and he will live with us and we will be his people And God himself will be with us and be our God. You know, what does Jesus say? If you love me, you obey me. And those who love me, I will show myself to. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit want to be known by each one of us.
They don't want to be a mystery. They don't want to be distant. They're inviting us into close community. Not only does he want to show himself to you, he wants to make his home in you and I. I want to reread that verse. In verse 23, he says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. I want to remind you at the very beginning of that chapter, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to prepare a home for you. There's so many layers and nuances to that verse, but one of the aspects of it is that he's talking about the eternal temple, what we just read about in Revelation, when God will once again dwell amongst his people. And so there's echoes of this in this promise that now he makes his home within us. It is a mystery, that Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God, that once upon a time could only inhabit the most holy place in the temple, the place that the high priest could only enter once a year, now lives in you and I. And daily we get to access his wisdom. Daily we get to access his guidance and his power. Holy Spirit, has made his home in you and I, and we are now the temple. And so there is this now and still yet promise that Jesus is talking about. I have made my home in you right now. I am that close to you right now. And yet there's still more to come that there will be a time where Paul says, with unveiled faces, we will behold him face to face. You know, of John chapter 14, as Pentecostals, let's be honest, perhaps the verse we would have wanted to latch on to is greater things. But do you know what the greater thing is that Jesus is inviting us into? Is that mirroring that I talked about. That as he saw what the Father was doing and partnered with it, as Holy Spirit sees what Jesus is doing at this point in time and partners with him, and we now, the fruit of us adopting this posture of faith, this posture of obedience, this posture of love, is that we get to join them in this circle of doing what God is doing at this point in time. It doesn't have to be a mystery. God wants to make it plain to each one of us the keys of what he's doing in our families, what he's doing in our workplaces, in our communities, what he's doing in our nation. This country needs breakthrough. And we can look to the government and we can say they need to do this and they need to stop doing that. But do you know what? Just like the disciples misunderstood thinking that Jesus was coming to throw off physical oppression, sometimes we misunderstand and we forget that as God's people, the greater thing that we're called to do is to bring spiritual freedom to the people around us. God wants to show himself to you. He wants to make himself known to you so that you can do greater things. 
so that you can lead people to the Father's glory. He doesn't want this to be abstract. He wants this to be very, very real, your everyday experience. But it starts with what we believe. You know, a couple of years ago, we homeschooled for a season, and I was talking to a veteran homeschool mum about, you know, all the curriculums and all the choices that lay before me for that season. And she said something to me. She said, you know what, I'm, this is what I wish I'd known at the beginning of my 20-year homeschool journey. Holy Spirit knows exactly what your kids need. Lean into him. You know, I was about 35 at the time, and I'm sad to say that I hadn't really thought about that. But over the last five years, God has taken us into some of the lowest points of our journey, and Holy Spirit has been there, and Holy Spirit has known what to do and what to say, what to shift, and he can do the same for you. So as the team comes, I want to invite you to stand. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to these postures, to think about where you're at in your journey and what posture it is that you need to press into most today. You know, perhaps you're here and you have never made that step of saying, Jesus, I'm going to believe that you are who you say you are. I'm going to believe that you are the way, the truth, not a variation of it, the absolute truth and the life, the source of my life. And I'm going to let you be Lord. If that's you today, just while we all bow our heads, I want to invite you to raise your hand and to say, I'm going to believe because Jesus, I want to receive all that you have for me. I want to receive this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit who will be my advocate, who will stand against every lie, every accusation that the enemy tries to discourage me with. I want the Holy Spirit to be praying through me and for me. I want Him to be by my side when life gets tough. I want Him to be leading me and guiding me and showing me the way. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? And I'm going to invite you to pray with me. But perhaps you already believe, but you haven't been continuing in Christ as Lord. And so there needs to be a fresh commitment this morning. Jesus, I believe, forgive my unbelief. I want to let you be Lord over all. I'm going to choose a posture of obedience. If that's you, I also want to invite you to raise your hand today. As we just surrender and we say, Jesus, be Lord in this place. Be Lord in my heart. Be Lord in my life. Be Lord in my comings and goings. Would you all just pray this prayer of faith with me? Jesus, we believe that you are the way. 
the truth and the life. We believe that you are who you say you are. And we open our hands. We open our hearts to receive you, Jesus, to receive your spirit. And we thank you that we will never be alone ever again. We surrender ourselves to you. Be Lord, not just today, but every day. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so.